Pretty cool, huh? I did that this weekend. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. Actually, um, Aaron Bjorklund, our worship pastor, um, met somebody down at Solid Grounds who's a tattoo artist, and he said to him, hey, we're doing this series on the book of Jonah starting in a few weeks. Would you have any interest in, in drawing our promo material for us? And um, uh, the guy doesn't, didn't know a whole lot about Jonah, but Aaron gave him a video and, and sort of showed him a little bit what the story was about, and this is what he came up with. It's pretty remarkable. It's interesting, over the next six weeks, we're going to have the chance to journey with Jonah, to allow Jonah to be our guide through the Lenten season, our guide to the cross, our guide to the resurrection, that we're going to sort of, metaphorically speaking, we're going to take Jonah's hand and we're going to go for a little bit of a, of a walk. But my guess is, um, even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, which by the way, we're really glad that you are here today, even if you don't know much about the Bible, my guess is you've heard about Jonah. Turns out the story of a person getting eaten by a fish and living for three days in its belly is ubiquitous. Like, news about that travels. <laughs> and my guess is that you have an opinion about the book of Jonah. I can remember um, being a college pastor and walking onto a college campus in Southern California and having somebody come up to me and they said to me, we just started this conversation about life and faith and Jesus, and it was almost like they hit pause and they said, you don't really believe in the whole Jonah story, do you? Now, just a quick timeout. Don't answer out loud. But what would you say? What would you say? How, how do you answer? Somebody who has no interest in faith, has no background in faith, or maybe stepped away from faith? What do you say? Here's what I said. I said, well... I believe that Jesus of Nazareth died and was buried in the earth for three days and walked out of the grave. So I guess believing that somebody survived in the belly of a fish isn't any harder than that. <laughs> uh, my goal was, let me get to Jesus as quick as I can <laughs> when I was on college, which, by the way, I don't think is a bad theological lens to have Anyway, over the last few months, I've been studying this book of Jonah, trying to get ready for um, the series that we're doing. And my guess is you have some questions like, Ryan, how should we read this book? What should we do with this ancient text? That's a great question. There's, there's really three things people have done with Jonah over the years. Here's the first. Here's the first. People have read Jonah as history. That's actually the most common way to read Jonah throughout the history of the church. People will argue that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus seemed to view Jonah as history. And to that I say, I, I think you can read that text that way, although I don't think you need to. Okay? So I don't think it's like the fail-safe. Although, if Jesus believed that Jonah was a historical event, that what we read about is history, I'm with Jesus. Yes? Okay, so if that's what Jesus thought, I'm with Jesus. Um, it's what the early church fathers thought. Um, almost every single one of them would have affirmed, yeah, Jonah is, should be read as, as history, as narrative. St. Jerome, Cyril, Theophilus, uh, all of the, among them who would say, we should read it as history. But there's a, another way to read the book of Jonah also. It's to read it as parable. 
And underneath that big banner of, of reading it as parable, there's really two streams. One that I think is good, and you can read it that way if you want to, and the other that I would say, I don't think you should read it that way. Let me start with the, I don't think you should read it that way, okay? So under parable, some people read Jonah as parable because they go, I just can't believe that somebody would get swallowed by a fish, live for three days, get spit up onto dry land, and be okay. Man, that's what most people think, right? Um, but here's what, here's what happens. If we go, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that happened. So therefore, I have to read it a different way. Like, what else do we have to do that with in the scriptures? Do we do that with, like, the Red Sea? Couldn't have split. Do we do that with Jesus walking out of the grave? Just metaphor. Couldn't happen. And here's the truth of the matter. There's a number of things that have happened that are hard for you to believe they happened. And I think that's a pretty weak lens to go to live your life through. If, if, if I didn't see it, then I don't believe it could happen. Let me give you an example. My wife and I watched this movie called Free Solo this weekend. Has anyone seen this? It's about this young man who free climbs the face of El Capitan. If you are scared of heights, rent this movie, right? <laughs> Popcorn, like, oh my goodness. So 3,000 vertical feet of, like, glass granite that this man climbs up without a rope. Now, if you were to stand in the Yosemite Valley and you were to look at El Capitan and I were to tell you, hey, somebody climbed that without any ropes, my guess is if you didn't know the story, you'd go, impossible. Couldn't have happened until you find out it happened. There's a documentary, and I'd encourage you, watch it. It's fascinating. I don't think it's any way to live, and I don't think it's any way to view Jonah. If I can't imagine it happening, if I can't, I can't believe it, therefore it didn't happen. But there's another stream. There are some people who read Jonah as parable, not because they don't think it could happen, but because they think that's what the literature of Jonah actually suggests as far as the way you should read it. Like, you read it, and it's not just that a man gets eaten by a fish, it's that, that cows repent in sackcloth and ashes. And there's all sorts of hyperbole all over the book, which there is. Like, whether you like it or not, there's a lot of hyperbole. And a tree, like, sprouts up and grows overnight and then dies. And so some people read it and they go, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be taken literally. I think it's more of a parable. I think it's more of a, of a story. Now, before you go, well, if it's a story, then it doesn't have anything to say to us, really. If it didn't really happen, I mean, it really happening is the thing that makes it important. To that, I just say to you, did we say that at all when we talked about the parable of the prodigal son? Well, no, the, the important part of the prodigal isn't that it happened, it's that it happens. So people that read Jonah that way, that's what they would say about the book of Jonah. And I think you could read it either way, to be quite honest with you. Here's what I think is true about Jonah. I think you can miss the point of Jonah reading it as parable or history. And I think you can get the point of Jonah by reading it as parable or history. Because it's not primarily parable or history. What section of books is Jonah in? The Minor Prophets. Right. 
So before we read Jonah as history and before we read Jonah as parable, we need to read Jonah as prophetic. We need to read Jonah asking the question, God, our lives are open to you. What do you want to say to us through your prophet Jonah, through his story, through his actions? God, what do you want to say to us? Before we talk about if it's history, if it's parable, God, it's prophetic. We believe that. And what do you want to say to us through your prophet Jonah? Yeah, yeah, it's important because it happens. And before we try to dissect Jonah and figure out how to pin it down, maybe we should just pause for a moment and posture our hearts to be prepared to be pinned down by it. It's less about what genre it falls in. It's prophetic. There's a, there's a message to the book of Jonah. And if I could summarize the message in one line, it would be this. A relentless or a resentful prophet encounters a relentless God. That's what Jonah is all about. A resentful prophet who encounters a relentless God. It's about a prophet who says no and a God who says I won't let go. And so just by a show of hands, how many of you are grateful that this book is in the scriptures? If this is what it's about, I am, I am, because my heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. So, so Jesus today, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. That's in me. And my guess is that's in you to some degree as well. This is great news. Jonah is great news for people who often tell God No. So at the beginning, at the onset of a series, let me just give you a few um, themes, sort of 30,000-foot themes from this book as far as the way that we should read it. I don't want you to miss, as we read through this book over the next few weeks, that it is absolutely beautiful, genius Hebrew literature. It's genius and the way that the book is mapped out, the way that the first half mirrors the second half, the way that the narrator sort of withholds this punchline, you have no idea why Jonah is running from God until chapter four. And the narrator is withholding, like inviting you in deeper, deeper, deeper until he just, boom, sucker punches you chapter four and you find out why. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. But it's also funny like, there are portions of Jonah that the original audience would have chuckled at. Now, a language later, a few thousand years, a different culture, some of it's lost on us, and I'm going to do my best over the next few weeks to just tell you where you should laugh, okay? It's a laughing track, right? It's like, ha, 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 like, I'll just tell you, and you do it. That perfect. Nailed it. Yeah. Like some people would say that, that Jonah, it's, it's funny, but it's also this like compassionate irony, one author calls it. Another suggests it's sort of satire. Like we're, we're supposed to chuckle a little bit. But maybe more than any of those, Jonah shows us something about what it means to be human. That we're sometimes frail and often fickle that we are often wrong when it feels like we're 100% right, that we often hear God right but think of God wrong, that we want 
mercy and grace for ourselves, but judgment and wrath for others? We are Jonah. And so this series, before we throw stones at Jonah for being one of the worst prophets ever, which he might have been, (laughs) we're going to try to see Jonah in the mirror and ask Jesus, what can we learn from this ancient prophet, from this ancient book that feels so weighty and so modern? Jonah chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? If you need to use the table of contents in your Bible, please do so. Jonah is in the minor prophets. They're not minor because they're less important. They're minor because they're shorter. And because they're shorter, they might be harder for you to find. No shame in using the table of contents today. As you're looking for it, let me just give you a little bit of background. Jonah is different than the other minor prophetic books. It suggests that maybe we should read it a little bit differently. Jonah has no reference to a king So no reference to this is the time that I'm writing, and this, you can sort of place me in a timeline. Here's when I wrote. No reference to a king, you'll see that. And no reference to an oracle that comes from God. Now, certainly there's a word from God, but there's no oracle from God. It's very different than the other prophetic books that are in our scriptures. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, let's dive into Jonah. We're going to have a whale of a time. Don't encourage me. Don't encourage me. There's more where that came from. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, which, by the way, means truth. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Three short verses, but they frame the entire book for us. So let me tell you about the plan, the people, and the prophet. Here's the plan. Jonah... I want you to go and I want you to preach against Nineveh. I want you to go and deliver a message. Its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you're a student of the scriptures, that's sort of an echo from a passage we've read before. Its wickedness has come up before me. Do you remember where? It's Genesis. Yes, it's Noah. It's Genesis chapter 6. The wickedness of the people has risen up to me. Therefore, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to wipe them out. So I'm bad at keeping a secret. So I'm going to tell you why Jonah's running from God. You're not going to find out until chapter 4, but we need to sort of talk about it now because it's important. Jonah doesn't actually think that God's going to do that. He he has this sneaking suspicion, Jonah does, that God is slow to anger, that he's compassionate, that he's abounding in love, and that he's forgiving. Here's what Jonah's worried about. Jonah is worried that God is like Jesus. That's what Jonah's worried about. Thank you for laughing. Yeah, we should chuckle a little bit, right? Because Jonah is right. (laughs) He's right. 
So we see this, it's wickedness has risen up before me. In Genesis, it's destroy them. In Jonah, it's preach against them. In Jesus, it's forgive them. Jonah's like, man, I'm not sure I like this plan. Because the people he's going to, these, these Ninevites, Nineveh is the capital of Syria at the time, and the Ninevites were known for being a brutal people. I mean, they did things to the people that they captured, they tortured them, they decapitated them, they dismembered people, and they were proud of it all, they flaunted it all. In fact, if you were defeated by the Ninevites, they would put it in your face by, if you were a man and you were at war, they would cut off your head, put it on a pole, give it to your kids, and have them parade your head through their victory parade. They would lop off people's legs, both of them, and their left arm, and they would leave their right arm and right hand intact so that when the victory parade happened, you could shake the hand of the victors before you bled out and died. I can see where Jonah's coming from. Nineveh would have been called a a terrorist state. Is Jonah racist? He, He might be. He might be. But maybe he just thinks he knows right and wrong, and he certainly would identify the Ninevites as wrong, as evil. Like, maybe he just thinks, like, God, you know what's right and wrong, and that's wrong, and you fall on the side of right. Therefore, God, you are against the Ninevites. He, he probably assumes that his hatred for the Ninevites is not only justified by God, but shared by God. And when he finds out he's wrong, his house of cards starts to crumble rapidly. See, Jonah may not be a racist, but he certainly is nationalistic. Which means he might be a lot easier for us to relate to than some dude who just got swallowed by a fish. Right? Like, he loves him some Israel. And he believes that God is for Israel. Is God for Israel? Yeah. Is God for Nineveh? Yeah. God's for humanity, right? And so he so desperately wants to see Israel flourish that he has this line of thinking, God, I don't like those people. They're not part of our tribe. Therefore, I'm pretty sure you don't like those people either, right? which is a dangerous line of thinking because whoever we fill in the blank with in that line of people, I don't like that group, and God, I'm pretty sure you don't like them either. You do, lean in for a moment, this might be a little bit uncomfortable, you do realize that you are somebody's fill in the blank. Like, God, I'm sure you don't like them because of whatever. And your name, our name, our follower of Jesus, th- that goes in that fill in the blank. And man, It's so easy to feel justified in hatred because somebody's not part of our group. And to think, God, you're only for this one little sliver. 
That's how cycles of violence and retributive justice continue over and over and over again. And maybe part of the prophetic word of Jonah is, that's tired. It's tired. Like There's a better way as we lead to the cross. There's a better way. And this prophet Jonah shows us that way. If you think Jonah was just was parable, then I, I'd encourage you to wrestle a little bit with the reality that Jonah was a prophet. He served in Israel, and let me just show you the other passage that references the same Jonah we're talking about. Uh, speaking of Jeroboam, he's the one who restored the boundaries of Israel. Jeroboam was the king of Israel, Jeroboam II, under Jonah's prophetic reign. From Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, God of Israel spoken through his servant, whom? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. There were other prophets who were prophesying during Jonah's time and during the reign of Jeroboam II Amos and Hosea. And Amos and Hosea were looking at the way that Jeroboam operated the way that he used militaristic power to expand the borders of their empire, the way that he destroyed people in their wake, the way that he would go to any extent to make Israel great. And, and Jonah was the lone voice that said, I support him. Hosea and Amos were going, Jeroboam, you are off. God is not for this. You go read through their books. They are very, very critical of Jeroboam's reign. Jonah not so much. Jonah wanted to see Israel flourish at any cost. So it starts to make sense, doesn't it? The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go preach against Nineveh. And he has a sneaking suspicion in the back of his head, like, God, you might just forgive them. And that can't happen. And so what does he do? Yeah, he runs. He runs. He finds himself in Joppa. <laughs> Gath Heifer right around there. And instead of going to Nineveh, which is almost directly east, he goes to Tarshish, which is almost directly west. And we're supposed to go. <laughs> but maybe more than that, we're supposed to think about the reality that running from God is often easier than trusting God. That running from God is often easier than trusting God. And even as followers of the way of Jesus, friends, let's come to terms this morning. Let's loosen the halo just a little bit to say there's a runner inside of each one of us. There are ways that when we hear the way of Jesus, we'd rather run the other way. We'd rather run the other way than forgive our enemies and pray for those that persecute us and let go of our anger and our lust and our hatred. Some days we just would rather run the other way, wouldn't we? I would say that there's a little bit of Forrest Gump in each one of us, right? Three years, two months, 14 days, 16 hours, Forrest Gump spent running across America back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's so funny because I went and watched this scene. And research, you know, research. And it starts out by him saying, I don't know exactly why I was running. I just started running. I felt like running. And at the end of his run, he says this. I was running because sometimes you have to put the past behind you before you can move into the future. 
And I thought, oh, I know some runners like that. Yeah, the American cartoonist James Thurber said it like this. All human beings should try to learn before they die what they are running from and to and why. What they are running from and to and why. See, here's part of what's in our soul, friends, is that when we run, we get to live under the perception of control. And it is just that, it's a perception. But we get to hold on to this sort of fantasy that I'm actually in control of the way that everything goes. So I'm going to run the other way. But when I step into the way of Jesus and I listen to him, I have to trust and I have to surrender. And there are moments when that grades against everything in me. Yes? Graded against Jonah. So instead of failing, maybe our running looks a little bit like this. Instead of failing, we won't even try. It's a form of running. Instead of facing our hurt, maybe we just shut our heart down. It's a form of running. Instead of getting wounded, I'll get offended. Because that's an easier emotion to deal with. Or maybe I'll get angry. Instead of embracing calling, maybe I'll just settle for comfort. Instead of taking risks, I'll just embrace routine. Instead of engaging with the people around me with a a sort of relational depth where we actually share life, I'm just going to entertain myself and amuse myself to death, as Neil Postman writes. We are runners. We're Jonah. It's interesting, if you were to read through the book of Jonah, and I'd encourage you to do that this week at some point, maybe even a few times, just to get the landscape of this beautiful book. Here's what you're going to find. Jonah runs in two different and distinct ways. The first two chapters, Jonah is running in outright disobedience. He's like, God, the heck with you. Tarshish is calling my name. But in the second half in the book, chapters 3 and 4, Jonah is also on the run. Don't mistake his going to Nineveh to say that he's not running from God anymore. Jonah is on the run in the second half of the book through religion. That's how he's running then. The first half of the book is rebellion, runs through rebellion. The second half of the book, he runs through religion. God, I'm going to go through the motions. God, I'm going to do it because you told me to do it, but my heart's not in it at all. And for us as followers of Jesus, we come to church, maybe you come every single week. It might be one of the ways you run from God. To just feel a little bit better. To go, yeah, that's, that's in me, but not ever do anything about it. We can run through rebellion or we can run through religion, but either way, we're trying to avoid the one who is chasing us down. Eugene Peterson says, and I think he's right, that Jonah is far more attractive in his outright disobedience than he is in his begrudging obedience to God. He's way more attractive in chapters 1 and 2 than he is in 3 and 4. <laughs> Here's the truth of the matter, friends, and lean in for a moment, because running from God and running from pain is always, is always running from reality. And I don't know if you've ever realized how unsuccessful you are in trying to avoid reality. But it just finds us at every turn, doesn't it? 
Like you sneak around a corner and you're like, ah, reality, you're there. So Jonah's this invitation, an invitation to recognize the way that God works and the way that the human soul often works. And let me just point out a few things this morning out of verse 3 that we find out from Jonah's life. It says this, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. I spent some time sort of imagining that scene this week that Jonah is heading from his home, he's going down, and you're going to find out that that theme down is going to continue all throughout the first chapter of this book. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Jonah is going to go down into the ship. He's going to go down into the base of the ship. He's going to go down into the ocean. It's like the narrator wants you to know, it's about to go down. (laughs) Jonah walks down and gets to Joppa, and the picture is like, that there's just a ship ready to roll. Like he doesn't have to wait. He makes the decision and it's there. It's like it was waiting for him. It's like as Genesis chapter four says that sin is crouching at your door. Like it's just, it's just right there. It's desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, here's what Jonah teaches us. There's always a ship headed for Tarshish. There's always a ship headed for Tarshish. Disobedience will always be an option. Therefore, obedience must be a conscious choice. Hey, let me, let me just say that again because nobody said amen to that. Um, I'm going to give you a second chance. Disobedience will always be an option. Therefore, obedience must be a conscious choice. Amen. Amen. It's interesting because Tarshish and Nineveh are opposites in, in every way. I mean, we've already established geographically their opposites, but, but Nineveh is this terrorist state that's filled with blood that is absolutely brutal and dominated by a people who use their creativity to figure out ways to kill people in more painful ways. Tarshish, however, is Hawaii. Tarshish is a paradise. Tarshish is where the the rich people went to get away from it all, to have a luau and sip on a Mai Tai. That's Tarshish. And Jonah, as much as he maybe gets wrong, he gets this right. Where does Jonah try to flee to in order to get away from the presence of God? See, if you were to lay it out and you were to say, hey, where is God more present? In a tropical paradise where you can put your beach towel out and soak up the rays and soak up the sun, 82 degrees every day, crashing surf, great service, or in a terrorist state where people are losing their lives and people are coming up with creative ways to kill people. Where's God more present? And what Jonah says is, I'm running away from the presence of God He's in Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. Yeah. Jonah knows what we often forget. We often forget that we meet God in the pain. We often forget that we meet God in the struggle, in those dark corners, in those things that we'd rather ignore, in the places that we'd more like 
to forget. Those are often the places we meet God. Yet yeah, we, we use pleasure. We use Tarshish. We have a number of Tarshai in our life. We use Tarshish in order to escape Nineveh. But Nineveh is often the very place where we meet God. Two times in this very first section, Jonah says, I am going to get away from the Lord. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Question, is that actually possible? No. I mean, what he's finding out is what the psalmist wrote. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah's version of this is, I can't get away from you. Selah. See, the truth of the matter, friends, is that temptation and sin and running don't actually distance us from God. They simply prevent us from being able to enjoy his presence. So Jonah shows us what human freedom looks like at work. You do know that God will never force you to make a decision you don't want to make, right? As C.S. Lewis says, he says, God created things which have free will. That means creatures which can go either wrong or right. Some people think they can imagine a creature which was free but had no possibility of going wrong. I cannot. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes the possibility of any love or goodness or joy worth there's always a ship headed for Tarshish. And you can choose it. I hope you don't. But God won't prevent you from doing so. Second, and Jonah ran away from the Lord. I'm guessing Jonah has a decent home. I mean, he supported the king. That's, that's how to get rich. I'm guessing Jonah had some good friends. So why not just say no? Go to Nineveh. No! I'm staying here. But that's not what Jonah does. Jonah says, no, I won't go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarshish. Here's what Jonah does. Jonah is pointing out a truth for you and I that we would do well to allow to sink into our souls this morning. And he's showing us there is no such thing as neutrality. When you hear the call of God, you can't just stay where you are. It's either a yes or a no. It's either a Nineveh or a Tarshish. But there are no in-betweens. There's no such thing as neutrality when it comes to God's call. We often live under the guise of neutrality. Like even in, in a marriage, well, it's just cold. It's not getting any worse or any better. It's changing. It's going one direction. In a dead-end job, we're just going, well, I'm just sort of putting in my time. You, your, your life is moving. It's always moving. There's no such thing, no such thing as neutrality. So maybe today, you just pause and you ask Jesus, what's one thing I'm I'm under the false assumption that is in neutral in my life. Finally, it says, and he paid, after paying the fare, he went aboard 
and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. There's this nuance in the Hebrew that almost every uh, scholar points out that what could be being said is that Jonah paid for the fare for the entire ship. As if to say, like, what's it going to take? Get me there as quick as we can. I don't know if that's right. There's a number of other sailors, as we'll see, that are on the ship. There's some cargo that they're taking. So we know that somebody else has a vested interest in this ship making it to Tarshish. We're not exactly sure. But here's what we do know, is that there is always a cost to running. There's always a cost to running. Like one of the costs is it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Like if we're on the run either from God or from pain or from his, our history or whatever, you name it, whatever you're on the run from, it is exhausting. I mean, you just watch the movie, The Fugitive, and by the end of it, you feel like you've had an entire workout, don't you? Like Harrison Ford, please just turn yourself in because I don't think I can handle this. That's the same thing that happens to the human soul when we're on the run and we refuse to acknowledge reality in our life. It is exhausting. We're running against the wind, as the old song says. But it's also unproductive. So Jonah pays all this money. He spends all this time. He goes through all these efforts. And then where does he end up? Right where he left. It's treadmill living. We got put in three miles today. Eight and a half minute miles. And when I got off that treadmill, I was exactly where I was standing beforehand. <laughs> That's what addiction does. It's running. Eventually, you end up right where you left. It's what happens when we pacify our pain instead of actually confronting it. Will you, will you look up at me for just a moment? And then we're, we're short on time. These next few points we're going to fly through. But you just need to know your running has cost you something. It always does. It has cost you something. It might have cost you a level of intimacy in a marriage or in a friendship. It might have cost you time and energy or resources. But please hear me. Please hear me. Whatever you are running from today, you will eventually have to deal with. So maybe we let Jonah read us and we say, well, if I'm going to have to deal with it someday, God, then maybe today's the day. Because the truth is running is a great way to escape, but it's no way to live. Running is a great way to escape, but it's no way to live. So what if today, what if today, instead of running from God, instead of running from reality, we just started to run towards him instead of away from him? Like, what might that look like? What might that journey, that downward journey this Lenten season, as we walk towards the cross and the resurrection, what might that journey look like this year? Here's what it might look like. As we use Jonah's life to read ours, what if we started to pursue awareness what if we started to take that question seriously? All human beings should try to learn before they die what they are running from and to and why. Like what if we started to say, what if we said this week, you just write this in a journal somewhere, or you take a picture of it and you process it in some time with God. I run from fill in the blank to fill in the blank 
because fill in the blank. Like maybe we use adventure to run or addiction to run. Maybe we use religiosity to run or we use a rebellion to run. Maybe we choose pleasure to run or we choose pain to run. Maybe we choose pride. Maybe we choose pornography. There's a lot of different ways that we run. So it may sound something like this. I run from pain to drugs or alcohol because I don't want to deal with reality. I run from intimacy to entertainment because I fear being known. I run from my calling to security because I'm afraid of failing. Hypothetically, something like that. printed up a, a handout for you. I hope you got when you walked in. If you didn't, you can grab it on your way out. It's the prayer of exam, and it's an ancient prayer guiding us to this place where we let God read us a little bit. I, I, I've, I had this realization of maybe just a year ago that as evangelicals, we're typically really good at teaching people how to read the Bible and not as good at teaching people how to let the Bible read them. We're good at learning about God, but we're not the best at learning from God, just sort of opening our hands to say, God, what do you want to say? This is an ancient prayer practice that helps you position yourself to hear from God. Maybe this Lenten season, you just say, e each night before, we, before I go to bed, or if you're married, before we go to bed, we're, we're just going to embrace this prayer practice. And um, if it's helpful, use it. If not, use it as a coaster. I don't really care. Um, I hope it's helpful for you. If it is, use it. Second, choose repentance. Once, once God brings up some things that we're running from, um, sometimes our natural tendency is to say, I couldn't let that go. It's such a part of me. Would you allow your imagination to maybe run a little bit more free? Say, God, give me a vision for what this looks like to live in a different way. And then, God, I'm going to choose that way. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose your way, your heart, your path, the path of life. Repentance, it's a beautiful word. It means that there's a platform to be honest and there's a pathway home. Choose repentance. Seek healing. And this is why we have Celebrate Recovery that meets here Tuesday nights at 6.30. It's why we have the support groups that we have, um, grief share, we have divorce care, we have a pornography group that meets. I mean, it's, it's why we do those things, you guys. Because when we come to Jesus, we are made new, but we move a lot of old furniture into a new house. And as a church, we are passionate about helping you walk in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, and oftentimes that means healing. Did you know everywhere you read in the New Testament the word salvation, you could read the word, you could interpret it, translate the word healing? Jesus is for your healing. Awareness, repentance, healing, and then finally we say back to Jesus, where you're calling, where you're calling, I will follow. Don't miss that Jonah's running from God's call on his life. And we might be running from God's call on ours to live in his way with his heart. So over the next few weeks, we're going to journey with Jonah. But remember, as you start to see just how bad of a prophet he is, let's not throw stones at him. I think he's got something to teach us, to teach us about ourselves, to teach us about God things to teach us about what it means to be human. Let's not throw stones at Jonah. Let's try to see him in the mirror. 
And friends, may we become the kind of people who instead of running away from God, we run to him. We run to him. Let's pray. So before you go running out of here, maybe just ask the Spirit, what, what's one thing? What's one thing? Spirit, that you want to drive home. One thing you want me to walk away with. Have I been choosing Tarshish? Have I been running from my pain? Have I been going to pleasure instead of just trying to sit in reality as painful as it is? Jesus, are there ways that we've lied to ourselves into thinking that we're in neutral? God, show us afresh what, what our running, what our sin, what our disobedience has cost us. As, as scary as that is to pray, Jesus, and as scary as it may be to see, Lord, we, we, we want to be found in this discontent in anything less than you have for us. And I think the way forward is actually seeing some of the ways that we've said no so that we can choose yes. So Jesus, today, thank you for not saying no to us. Jesus, thank you for not writing us off when we run. Jesus, thank you for being faster than us and for chasing us down. Would you remind us of that throughout this whole series, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.